Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right. Well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Sandoval here. Happy to be with you talking about our Catholic faith. Ultimately, you know, we have a clinic here is really the bottom line. We want to talk about not just our Catholic faith, but really our Catholic health is really what it comes down to. Are we healthy as Catholics? And are we using the prescribed uh, medications? Are we using the prescribed ointments? Are we using the prescribed healing therapies that our Catholic Church offers us to heal our soul? You know, I use these terms from the medical world because that's what we're used to. We're used to getting prescriptions in the forms of pills or capsules or creams or ointments or things along those lines to heal the body. But when it comes to the soul, do we think of the soul as an active, living part of us? Do we think of it as something that moves, that gets better, that gets sicker, that doesn't, uh, uh, that's not just stagnant in our bodies? Do we think of it that way? I think one of the best ways to think about it or to understand that part of ourselves uh, is, you know, especially during this month of the precious blood, the month of July. Last month was June. We celebrated the sacred heart of Jesus Christ. This month is the month of July. We're celebrating the precious blood. Next month, we'll talk about the Immaculate Heart of Mary, of course. But during this month of the precious blood, what does that mean? Is this going to heal our souls? What's the point of the precious blood of Christ? Well, let's talk about that a little bit in today's show with regards to purgatory and the souls in purgatory. But before we do that, let's go ahead and get started with the Angelus at the top of the noon hour. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, <clears throat> the idea came to me for a few different reasons where, you know, when we think about the soul, do we really think about it as an active part of our lives? I mean, it's obviously easy to see our bodies, right? That's what we see. We walk around and we see each other's bodies and 
Sometimes our bodies are taller, shorter, bigger, skinnier, you know, all different shapes and sizes. And what we do see in the body or what's very easy to feel is if we have a cut, a wound, some kind of pain, something doesn't feel right, we go to the doctor and <clears throat> all of a sudden, um, you know, we say, gosh, doc, I'm not feeling like myself. And we do a few tests here in the clinic. We take your blood pressure. We take your pulse. We get your vital signs. Make sure you don't have an elevated uh, temperature. You don't have a fever or something like that. We draw some blood and we take a look at your uh, different, you know, cells, the red blood cells, the white blood cells, indicative of any kind of infection. We have a whole science to it. Uh, and, you know, it's wonderful to have that. It's wonderful to to see that as a physician. It's very rewarding to say, hey, let's run these tests. Hey, look, this is what happened to you. And I'm going to prescribe you this medication and you're going to feel better. That's great. Or we're going to send you over to x-ray and we're going to see, gosh, you know, your arm is broken. We're going to send you to orthopedics. We're going to get you a cast and you put that on and it's going to feel better. Well, this month of the precious blood of Christ, the month of July, I was really struck the last time I went to confession. It was a really, really good confession. Uh, and what I realized were a few things in that. Uh, I realized that one, when you go to confession, you really need to have, it really makes a difference as to the disposition of the priest. It made me think about that because, you know, sometimes you go to the doctor and you say, nope, that's my doctor. That's who I go to. That's, uh, you know, they're all the same. All the doctors study the same medicine. But why would you go to one particular doctor over the other? Well, I would dare say when it comes to confession, I think you want to know which priest understands how to administer the medication for the soul the best, the medication in the form of the precious blood of Christ. I was thinking about that because I went to confession and when I went, to, you know, I've been to confession lots of times and sometimes it feels like a, a bit of a drive through uh, you know, you come in, you, you tell your priest of sins, and and he he uh, absolves you of your sins, and you're on your way. That's the way it should be. You know, the confession is not a time to chit chat or anything like that. We're there for a purpose. We're there for a reason. Uh, I think about that as a physician in the clinic, and I think, yeah, you know, when people come in, and sometimes they just want to share their stories or chit chat a lot, and I'm like, okay, that's great. I, I think it's wonderful. We have some great patients, and you build a great rapport. Um, but did we accomplish my concern with that is not so much am I talking to nice people, which is great, but more while you're here, did we accomplish what you came here to accomplish? I don't want to miss anything. It's great to, to chat and talk about life, but I don't want to miss a diagnosis. I don't want to, in the process of having a conversation, forget to ask the right questions uh, or inquire about your history, things along those lines. Well, I went to confession and it was a different experience than, than other times because the priest actually started to ask me questions, but it really felt like I was in the clinic. I felt like this priest is really actually, you know, it, it, it was transformative. Like he's taking care of my soul. Like he doesn't care about my sins as much in, in terms of, yeah, he wants to absolve them, but he wants to know how I'm doing. He started asking me, you know, I, you, know you go in and you say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned, my last confession. You know, I accuse myself. Uh, and, you know, I'm married, I have kids, and I, this is my state in life. You, you go through the whole thing. Well, he went in and he's kind of like, well, what about this? Let me ask you about this. Let me ask you about that. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. There was something different, something where I started to feel like something is working here. He's asking me questions the same way I would ask questions in the middle of a clinic, in the middle of a, a, a clinic visit. Somebody who comes in, say that they're playing sports and they 
hurt themselves and they they broke a leg or something i ask them okay well where were you how were you running what were you playing uh how long have you done this before if you're an athlete i need to ask you these few other questions how are you eating what's your normal exercise regimen there's a few questions that go with your situation in life and i thought that was pretty impressive i thought about that because during the month of july i've been you know i've been asking our lord and i've been uh praying and I said, you know, shed your blood, your precious blood on me, my family, my friends, my patients, my uh, my work environment, my coworkers, press, you know, just shed your precious blood on all of us. And I was praying about that before the confession. And as I got there, I realized this priest really, really cared in my soul. It was impressive. It, it was really cool. It made me really want to do the penance, understanding the soul as a living thing, as a not a body, obviously, because the soul is not a body, but in a very real comparison where the soul gets wounded, the soul gets sick, the soul gets a fever, if you will, or gets a cut or an abrasion or or uh, loses, um, uh, you know, strength. Much like us, if we're not eating well, if we're not exercising well, if we're not doing the things we need to do to take care of our bodies, we're going to lose strength. Same thing happens to our mind. You always say, gosh, you never want to waste a mind. You want to read. You want to make your mind stronger. You want to learn things. And for us as Catholics, the most important thing to do is learn our Catholic faith. We want to have a strong mind that's going to inform the will. These are important things. But do we ever stop and think about the soul in that fashion? My soul can actually be wounded. My soul can actually be hurt. It really made me think of that during this last confession, the way that the priest was talking to me. It was a great confession. I mean, really nice guy, good priest, solid. Uh, and it made me wonder, you know, the priest there made me think of the priest is truly handing me medication here. What kind of medication is he handing me? Yeah, there's prayers. But then as I was doing the litany of the precious blood, I was doing that on my own. And I thought, this is really a healing experience. we got to remember that Christ healed us with his blood. Christ's blood is healing. The month of July here, dedicated to the precious blood of Christ, is a month of healing. If last month we tried to conform our hearts to Christ, we're going to start to see our wounds. We're going to start to see that we need healing. Well, I was reading the litany of the precious blood of Christ, and I came upon one of the lines, you know, and for all of us who pray it, uh, it says blood of Christ, and then it goes on to describe the blood of Christ, and it says, save us. Well, the one line that was, you know, and if we go through it, it'll say blood of Christ, incarnate word of God, save us. Blood of Christ, stream of mercy, save us. Blood of Christ, victor over demons, save us. Blood of Christ, help of those in peril, save us. Well, I got to this one line, and it said, Blood of Christ, freeing souls from purgatory, save us. I'm going to read that again. Blood of Christ, freeing souls from purgatory, save us. It made me really think about the soul in terms of, you know, we look at death, we look at dying. Uh, and we think it's kind of final for us in many ways. It's very sad when our one of our loved ones die. Uh, you know, we go to the funerals, and nowadays, nowadays the funerals are you know people call them celebrations of life, and they say you know we're going to celebrate this person's life, and all we're going to do is we're going to talk about how wonderful they were, what impact they had in our lives, you know how how uh, we were so much better off because they were alive. But it really sounds like a, you know, this is it. It was, it, they had their time and they expired and that was it. Something about praying about the precious blood, something about going to confession made me really focus on the soul. It needs to heal. It needs to live. 
and the blood of Christ is freeing us from purgatory. More after the break. All right, folks, well, welcome back to Bergen Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show. Today, we're talking about what kind of healing does our soul need? Where do we find that medicine for our soul? And really, are we done once we pass away, once we die? Is that it? Is the soul done? Or do we truly believe in eternal life? In between earth and heaven, we're headed in the direction of heaven. Is there a pit stop? name purgatory well purgatory still exists and i would dare say month of july month of the precious blood of christ that's the ultimate medication for our souls and where do we get that where does christ's redeeming blood come to us in the sacrament of confession and in the sacrament of holy communion obviously why is it that our sins can be forgiven during the sacrament of confession because christ shed his blood for us on the cross that's what it comes down to. That's the medication. Our souls will need healing. Every time we sin, we're going to wound the soul. The soul is going to be sick. Do we understand our priest as a doctor? Does the priest understand that he's a doctor of the soul? That's really what it comes down to. I think that those are the most fruitful confessions I have ever had. Um, this last confession I had was just wonderful. Solid priest, great guy, um, and just kind of cut to the heart. You know, he got in there and he started asking questions like a doctor would. And I really appreciated that. And he said, okay, here's the situation. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do here to heal your soul. Understand this, understand that. Understand that this would be a greater sin than this, than, you know, whatever you're confessing now. Ask yourself if you've done these other things, because if that's related, that could be a greater sin. He was just breaking it down. And I was like, that's impressive. Why? I didn't come out of there feeling oppressed. You know, nowadays... I think that sometimes, you know, we our church has turned into a church of got to make people feel good. We got to make people feel accepted. And we got to make, you know, there's all these different terms that come about. And really what it came down to, this priest didn't care if I was happy or not happy. Any more than a doctor would tell you, hey, you got a wound there on your leg. Um, yeah, don't worry about it. It's okay. No, you as a doctor, you're going to say, look, this is going to hurt. I got to look at it. There's a wound. I got to take care of it. And medication might sting, um, but it's going to heal the wound. We want to get rid of it, right? No, let's look at the wound. Does it have any bacterial infection or not? If you have a wound, you got to be careful for that. There's bacteria out there. There could be fungal infections too. You got to know the right medication to use for that. That's kind of what it felt like. You know, he went in there, this priest went in there and just dissected the situation and said, you know, you got to think about these things. If you have this kind of wound, you got to look for these kind of infections from a spiritual sense, of course. But I thought to myself, this is truly where the precious blood comes in. This is where Christ comes in. This is where the precious blood of Christ is. And this is where um, we have to ask ourselves, am I doing the right thing? Am I uh, asking the right questions of myself and of my faith? Well, one of the things to consider is that the precious blood of Christ is what's going to heal us. Am I getting that kind of medication? Do I understand that when I go to confession, I'm getting medication for my soul? And the reason that my sins are being forgiven is because of the blood of Christ. Well, once I pass away, if my soul is uh, hopefully in a good place, I want to go straight to heaven. If it's not in a good place, if I still need some healing, I might need to go to purgatory. Well, blood of Christ, freeing souls from purgatory, save us. 
It made me think about this because if I'm ever, you know, thinking that I might have to go to purgatory or that I might have to, um, <clears throat> you know, pray a little bit more, am I also praying for the souls in purgatory? You know, the, those who have gone before us, like I was saying before the break, there are funerals, there are times where people will, you know, our loved ones pass away, and we don't want to think of the idea of hell. We don't want to think of the idea of sin. All we want to do is all of a sudden pray for their, uh, well, uh, or actually not even pray. That's one of the problems. Nowadays, people just say it's a celebration of life. We're going to talk about how wonderful they were, and we're going to talk about what a great person they were in our lives. But when I went to confession, I was thinking about it, and I thought something just inside of me thought about that. And as I was praying the the litany to the precious blood of Christ, something about souls in, purga souls in purgatory. Where is my devotion to the souls in purgatory? Do I still understand that, gosh, when I die, who's going to pray for me? Who's going to actually have masses said for me? Who's going to say a rosary for me? Who's going to ask for the well-being of my soul? These are things that I got to tell myself, am I doing that for the souls in purgatory now? That was really my inspiration. That's kind of what I, what I walked away from. You know, purgatory, it's still happening. You know, regardless of what people might say or not say, purgatory is still very much of, uh, alive and well. The church has never changed its teaching on it. Christ speaks about it, of course, in the Gospels. But then I picked up this book that I remember I had. <clears throat> it's an interview with Maria Sinna. Sima, excuse me, Sima, S-I-M-M-A. Now, this is a lady who is from Poland, and she testifies to having the souls in purgatory come and appear to her and really explain to her kind of what purgatory is all about and what they need. And this is where I thought this would be a great month to not only devote myself to praying uh, to the blood of Christ, to asking to pray the litany to the blood of Christ, but really... Where's my devotion to the souls of purgatory? Can I bring that back up for myself? Well, I picked up this book and I thought it'd be interesting to share because I want to see what it's like to hear from the souls of purgatory from a spiritual sense and compare that to our physical medical world. So Maria Sima tells us of different things. And this is a great little book. It's called uh, The Amazing Secret of the Souls in Purgatory, an interview with Maria Sima. And all of this is just question and answers. You know, a priest went to, to uh, um, I'm sorry, it was a nun, Sister Emmanuel of, of Medjugorje. She interviewed her and she just wanted to know what's going on? What's going on in your life? These souls from purgatory come to you. What is that all about? <clears throat> well, this is what she said. I'm just going to go through some of the more interesting questions that she had here. Um, because, because really, what do we really know about purgatory other than we're just kind of waiting to get to heaven? So this is one of the questions. So Maria says that the souls first appear to her. This is the question. Maria, can you tell us how you were visited for the first time by a soul in purgatory? And Maria says, yes, it was in 1940. One night around three or four o'clock in the morning, I heard someone coming into my bedroom. This woke me up. I looked up to see who on earth could have walked into my bedroom. The question was, were you afraid? I think I would have been terrified. She says, no, I am not at all fearful. Even when I was a little child, my mother said I was a special child because I was never afraid. So she says, well, I saw a complete stranger. He walked back and forth slowly, and I said to him severely, how did you get here? Go away. But he continued to walk impatiently around the bedroom as if he hadn't heard. So I asked again, what are you doing? 
but he still didn't answer. I jumped out of bed and tried to grab him, but I grasped only air. There was nothing there. So I went back to bed, but again, I heard him pacing back and forth. I wondered if I could see this man, but he couldn't, but why I could see this man, but I couldn't grab him. She says, I rose again to hold on to him and stop him walking around. And again, I grasped only emptiness. Puzzled, I went back to bed. He didn't come back, but I couldn't get back to sleep. The next day after Mass, I went to see my spiritual director and told him everything. He told me, uh, this should happen again. I should ask him, who are you? I should not ask him, who are you? But what do you want from me? The following night, the man returned, definitely the same man. I asked him, what do you want from me? He replied, have three Masses celebrated for me, and I will be delivered. So I understand that it was a soul in purgatory. My spiritual father confirmed this. He also advised me never to turn away a poor soul, but to accept with generosity whatever they asked of me. And afterwards, the visits continued, and she says, yes, for several years, there were only three or four souls above all in November. Afterwards, there were more. Well, this is interesting. Souls from purgatory being allowed to visit us. Is that possible? Anything is possible with God. If God wants a soul from purgatory to come visit us, it's going to happen. We see hear about this and see these things in our deliverance ministries as well. Do we get inspirations from angels, from souls in purgatory? And so the questions go on. And one of the interesting questions, there was a story here that I saw. There is a couple of questions. Maria, can you tell us now if it is God who sends a soul into purgatory or if the soul decides to go there? She says, it is the soul itself which wants to go to purgatory in order to be pure before going to heaven. <clears throat> the soul in purgatory adhere fully to God's will. They rejoice in the good, they desire our good, and they love very much. They love God and they love us too. They are perfectly united to the Spirit of God, the light of God. And there's another question. Maria, at the moment of death, does one see God in full light or in an obscure manner? She says, in a manner still obscure, but all the same in such brightness that this is enough to cause great longing. It's very interesting. You know, these are great questions to ask because what is purgatory like? Do we see God? You know, obviously we can't see God fully because then we'd be in heaven. But in purgatory, do we have an understanding of God? Is God obscure? In this case, she's saying God is there, he's obscure, but he's still bright. I can only imagine what the full brightness of heaven would be like if I'm in purgatory and I still see some brightness, but I think it's that longing. This is what I've heard before when I've read about the souls in purgatory. There's a brightness that is enough to cause great longing. That's really the pain in purgatory. The pain in purgatory is seeing God, seeing the love of your life and not being able to be with them. It's that longing, that yearning for having that love in its fullness, but knowing that you can't get it yet. Here's an interesting question. Maria, can you tell us what the role of Our Lady is with the souls in purgatory? So you go to, to purgatory, are you all alone? Is Our Lady there? What's going on? And she says, she comes often to console them and to tell them they have done many good things. She encourages them. You know, this is the humanity of Our Lady, the idea of a mother who is waiting for her children to come home. And she is able to go visit them. They're not able to come in the house yet, but she's able to go visit them and encourage them to let them know that, you know, they're doing good and they're coming to heaven. 
that's got to be great consolation. That's therapy right there. If you think about it, do we lose our humanity when we pass away? Do we still need consolation? Do we still need purification? And all of a sudden, we're going to have, you know, Our Lady come visit us. That's great consolation. Are there any days in particular in which she delivers them? And the answer is, above all, Christmas Day, All Saints Day, Good Friday, the Feast of the Assumption, and the Ascension of Jesus. These are great feast days. These all make sense. Christmas Day, Christ is born. Why did come? Why did Christ uh, come to earth? To save us. Christ came to earth, unfortunately, to pass away and save us. All Saints Day, does that make sense? We're going to heaven. All of a sudden, you're going to go to heaven. You're officially a saint. That makes sense to go up. Good Friday. Good Friday, the precious blood of our Lord. When the blood was spilt, when our Lord was crucified, it only makes sense. Christ's blood is shed and souls are going to heaven for it. The Feast of the Assumption, Our Lady enters heaven herself, and the Ascension of Jesus, when Jesus goes back into heaven in his full glory. These are great days to remember our souls in purgatory. I mean, obviously, I think we should be praying for them all the time, but especially in these feast days, it makes sense that more souls are going to go to heaven from purgatory, because these feast days represent just that. They represent heaven opening up to us here on earth. More on the souls in purgatory and on the precious blood of Christ when we come back from the break. All right, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Today, we are talking about what does the precious blood have to do with the souls in purgatory? And really, with our souls in general, are we understanding our souls as a living, breathing entity, something that is truly alive, which means that it needs to be fed, which means that it can be exposed to the elements here on earth and be hurt or wounded, uh, which means that it needs to be taken care of. But it all has to happen in a spiritual sense. We have to have a spiritual understanding of the world around us. You know, there's always this debate about science and faith. And, you know, if all of a sudden you think rationally and you think scientifically, then faith doesn't make sense. How can you possibly uh, believe in a spiritual world, a world that you can't see, when science strictly deals with things that you absolutely can see and measure, which technically is actually not true, you know, I can't see the molecules in front of me. I can find ways to measure them, but I can't see them. I can feel the air, maybe. I can't see gravity. I can see its effects, but gravity exists. I can't see it, though. I can see the effects of gravity. It's the same thing in the spiritual world. Are we able to recognize the effects of things in our lives? Are we able to recognize that there is a spiritual world? And from our Catholic understanding, are we able to recognize that there are souls in purgatory, not only a place where we might end up and need prayers, but souls who are there right now in a very real way who need our prayers, who through the blood of Christ, the shedding of his blood on the cross, are going to merit heaven the same way we are if we're going to merit heaven. These are souls who have gone before us. These are souls who still need our prayers. These are souls that in a way we have an obligation to pray for, right? We talk about the church militant, the church triumphant, but then there's a church penitent. And so these are the souls in purgatory who are still purging their sins and still need our prayers. Um, The soul still needs healing. 
so can we provide that medicine for them? Can we offer masses for them? This is where really the supernatural part of our world uh, across time and space, you know, they're in eternity. We're in a finite time and space type dimension. But yet there's this connection that we have. There's a connection that we can't deny. You know, are we able to recognize that? Well, as I keep reading this book, now keep in mind, this is private revelation. This is not something that you have to believe uh, as far as uh, the, as far as purgatory goes, that's the doctrine of the faith. As far as souls appearing to somebody and them giving you insight into what's necessary for souls in purgatory, well, not something that you have to believe, but I think it's always inspirational and good to know in order to keep up our devotions, in order to keep up our uh, prayers for our souls in purgatory, for our loved ones who have gone before us, or even souls that we never knew that we might not know how we might help with our prayers, sacrifices, and spiritual offerings. Here's an interesting question. Maria, why does one go to purgatory? What are the sins which most lead to purgatory? I think that's a great one to ask ourselves, especially since I uh, let our, our listeners here know that Gosh, I was really inspired to look into the souls in purgatory, the precious blood of Christ after my last confession, because it really made the soul real to me. You know, it really made it so that it's like, hey, I'm not just coming here to confess some actions. I'm confessing so that I can heal my soul. Something's wounded. My soul is a very real entity. Well, let's see. What are the sins that lead to purgatory? Sins against charity, against the love of one's neighbor, hardness of heart, hostility, slandering calumny, all these things, saying wicked things and calumny are among the worst blemishes which require a long purification. So Maria Sima gives an example which really struck her. She said that she had been asked to find out if a woman and a man were in purgatory. To the great astonishment of those who had asked, the woman was already in heaven and the man was in purgatory. In fact, this woman had died while undergoing an abortion whereas the man often went to church and apparently led a worthy, devout life. So as Maria Sima inquired about these souls that people were asking, where are they, heaven or purgatory? Turns out that the woman who they thought would have been in purgatory because she had had an abortion was actually in heaven. And the man who appeared to be very worthy and devout was not in heaven. He was in purgatory himself. So it says that Maria searched for more information, thinking she'd been mistaken. But no, it was true. She asked the souls in purgatory where these people were, and she found out that it was true. She said they had died at particular, at practically, excuse me, the same moment. But the woman had experienced deep repentance and was very humble, whereas the man criticized everyone. He was always complaining and saying bad things about others. This is why his purgatory lasted so long. And Maria concluded, we mustn't judge on appearances. This is so important, you know, for us as Catholics. This is so important for our souls and the souls of those around us to not judge by appearances, to not make up things, to not say things about other people, to not be quick to judge and say, oh, you know what, that person, I think this and this about them, or I think that they must have uh, said this, or I think that they're just trying to fix it. You know, whenever we say, I think, or I wonder, or this is my guess, at the end of the day, we're going to be starting spreading rumors. we got to be careful about that. The best thing is to be honest and say, you know, I really have no idea. I don't know what they're doing, or I don't know why they look that way, or I'm 
I'm just not aware. I think we like to sound interesting. We like to sound like we're in the know. We like to have different perspectives in our lives or, or to look a certain way. But the reality is, you know, we, uh, when we try to guess or we try to make things up about other people, it's not, it's not good because we never know how other people are going to take it. We never know what other people are going to hear, even though we say one thing or another. Um, so that's always important. Here's another one that's important. You know, as I'm thinking about confession, and if you heard my last show, uh, I was really thinking about forgiveness and forgiving people. And I'm really working on every day just saying, you know what? I forgive anybody who has ever hurt me or uh, has ever, uh, who I feel has slighted me, whether it's my perception or whether they really did. I'm not gonna, even going to worry about it. I I forgive them to the extent that I can and, and uh, fully, because if that's going to prevent me from going to heaven, what good is that? It's not even worth it. My desire to go to heaven should be much greater than the grudge I hold someone else. Well, let's look at this. Let's read on here about purgatory. And it says, other sins against charity are all, all our rejections of certain people we do not like, our refusals to make peace, our refusals to forgive, and all the bitterness we store inside. It says, Maria also illustrated this point with another example, which she gave us food for thought. It's the story of a woman she knew very well. The lady died and was in purgatory, in the most terrible purgatory, with the most atrocious sufferings. And when she came to see Maria, she explained why. She had had a female friend. Between them arose a great enmity causing, caused by herself. She had maintained this enmity or this distance, this uh, strife, for years and years, even though her friend had many times asked for peace, for reconciliation. So there's a situation where there's a little bit of a, uh, well, actually not a little bit, but a, a very big argument, a very big uh, rift between two people. One of them is asking for reconciliation and the other one is not or is not hearing about it. it says, but each time she refused. When she fell gravely ill, she continued to close her heart to refuse a reconciliation offered by her friend right up to her deathbed. So not only is it important for us to ask for forgiveness, but it, this is, a, again, a sign where it's important for us to forgive, especially if somebody's coming to us and telling us that they're sorry, that they're asking for forgiveness. And the story goes on to say, I believe that this example has great significance concerning rancor, which is maintained. And our words, too, can be destructive. We can never emphasize enough how much a critical or bitter word can truly kill, but also, on the contrary, how much a word can heal. How healing is it to hear the words, you know what, I forgive you. You know what, don't worry about it. Hey, you know what, I'm sorry. How healing is it for us to even say that? Do we say that? Do we think about saying that? When? How often do we wake up in the morning and think, you know, gosh, yeah, I want to forgive anybody who's hurt me. But how many times do we stop and think, how many people do I have to ask for forgiveness from? How many times are there people out there who I need to say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry. I hurt you. Or I didn't realize I was hurting you, but I did. You know, these are things that we don't always ask ourselves. They're, they're important questions because do I want my soul to heal? Or do I want to carry bitterness? These are questions that we have to ask ourselves individually. Do I want that precious blood of Jesus Christ to save me, to heal me, and to heal everybody else? These are important thoughts. 
Here's another good question. Maria, please tell us, who are those who have the greatest chance of going straight to heaven? Oh, I want to know the answer to this one. Who are those who have the greatest chance of going straight to heaven? Do you want to go straight to heaven? I want to go straight to heaven. Who, the, who has the greatest chance? She says, those who have a good heart towards everyone. Love covers a multitude of sins. Just having a good heart towards people. I'm not going to judge anybody. I don't know where they are in life. You know, we see different people and we see people who are overtly sinning, who are, uh, you know, straight out saying that they're going to, that they hate Christ or that they hate the Catholic Church or that, uh, you know, things that we know to be sin are not sin uh, or encourage particular lifestyles, particular sins and say that it's okay uh, and feel that the church should actually encourage these things. You know, I can sit there and judge these people, but at the end of the day, if I'm going to look at them with the eyes of Christ, I'm going to say, yeah, sure, they're wrong. I'm not going to say that they're right in what they're saying. I know what my Catholic faith teaches, and that's what I want to follow. But at the same time, I don't know what's going on in their hearts. I don't know what kind of wounds they carry. I don't know what their experience in life has been, that this is the point where they've gotten to. Is it my place to judge them in that sense? I can judge in the sense of saying, well, that just doesn't go in line with our faith. What you're saying there, what you're encouraging is not proper to our faith. I can judge that part. But do I judge them as people? Do I say that they deserve to go to hell? I can't say that at all, because if I'm going to judge somebody and say that they deserve to go to hell, I'm going to bring judgment on myself. I want everybody to go to heaven. Does that mean that everybody's in heaven? No, people are going to make decisions, and some people will make the decision to go to hell. That's just a fact of life. Jesus tells us that in the Gospels. But can I hope that people at their moment of death will want to be with God. Can I hope that? Sure, of course, I can hope that. I can pray for that. I'm not going to judge other people. I don't know what their particular relationship was with God. I want to have a good heart towards everyone in that sense without, without lying and being realistic about, well, no, those are sins, and those are sins that will keep us from God. That's the important part. More on the souls in purgatory, the mercy of God, and the precious blood when we come back. All right. Well, welcome back to the Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Bruce Sandoval Show. Today, we are talking about healing of the soul. But more importantly, not only healing our souls, healing the souls of our loved ones. We can do this. We can do this as Catholics. We truly believe that if I offer prayer and sacrifice, I can offer healing of your soul. And I can say, you know what, God, today I'm going to offer this Mass uh, for my brother. I'm going to offer uh, a sacrifice. I'm not going to um, eat that extra piece of bread, and that's going to be a sacrifice for my wife. I'm going to say, you know, an extra Hail Mary with true devotion, and I want to offer that for the next soul in purgatory who needs that Hail Mary. We can do these things. We can help heal our souls and get each other closer to heaven for those of us who need it, those of us here on earth, those of us in purgatory, or anybody who is in purgatory. And one of the things to consider is that as we pray for, we help the souls in purgatory, they are in turn going to be praying for us once they get to heaven. They're going to be our best friends. They're going to say, hey, you help me out. I'm going to help you out too. I'm going to be right there with your guardian angel. I'm going to be praying uh, for you. And I'm going to be offering things, to, you know, asking God interceding for you now in heaven uh, so that you are also meritorious, so that you can also make it to heaven. 
Well, these are some interesting questions. I'm going through this book. Again, the book is called The Amazing Secret of the Souls in Purgatory, an interview with Maria Sima. It is written by Sister Emmanuel of Medjugorje. And it's just interesting question and answer on what's going on with the souls in purgatory. Here we are, the month of July, the month dedicated to the precious blood of our Lord, the precious blood of our Lord shed for our salvation. How could it not be applied to the souls in purgatory? So let's keep reading this. These are some inter interesting questions. So the last question we had was, you know, who are those who have the greatest chance of going straight to heaven? She said, those who have a good heart towards everyone. What about this one? What are the means which we can take on earth to avoid purgatory and go straight to heaven? Good question. What are the means that we can take on earth to avoid purgatory and go straight to heaven? Does anybody want to just go straight to heaven and avoid purgatory? I'll take it. I'll take a one-way ticket. I don't want any pit stops. Well, let's see what she says. She says, we must do a great deal for the souls in purgatory, for they help us in their turn. We must have much humility. This is the greatest weapon against evil, against the evil one. Humility drives evil away. It says, I can't resist telling you a very lovely testimony of Father Berlieu, who wrote a wonderful book on the souls in purgatory concerning the help offered by these souls to those who relieve them by their prayer and suffrages. He tells the story of a person particularly devoted to the poor souls who had consecrated her life to their relief. All right, let's hear the story. There was a lady, apparently, who had a great devotion to the souls in purgatory. Well, this is what's happening as she's dying. It says, at the hour of her death, she was attacked with fury by the demon who saw her at the point of escaping from him. It seemed that the entire abyss was united against her, surrounding her with its internal infernal troops. So she, here she is at the hour of death, apparently surrounded by demons from hell, all trying to snatch her soul. What must be the value of our soul if hell is going to take great pains to try to surround us at the, at the moment of death? We must be an incredible jewel. I don't even think we think about that. Well, let's see what happened to this lady. It says, the dying woman struggled excruciatingly for some time when suddenly she saw entering her apartment a crowd of unknown people of dazzling beauty who put the demon to flight and approached her, spoke to her with the most heavenly encouragement and consolations. With her last breath, in great joy, she cried, Who are you? Who are you? Please. Who you who do so much good to so much good to me? The benevolent visitors replied, We are inhabitants of heaven, whom you helped as and says, whom you whom your help has led to be added to. Let me read that again. It's a little bit of complicated. It says, The benevolent visitors replied, We are inhabitants of heaven, whom your help has led to be added to, meaning you helped us to get to heaven to be added and we, in our turn, come in gratitude to help you cross the threshold of eternity and rescue you from this place of anguish to bring you into the joy of the holy city. At these words, a smile lit up the face of the dying woman. Her eyes closed, and she fell asleep in the peace of the Lord. Her soul, pure as a dove, presented to the Lord of Lords, found as many protectors and advocates as souls she had delivered, and recognized worthy of glory, she entered in triumph among the applause and blessings of all those she had rescued from purgatory. 
may we one day have the same happiness. Can you only imagine that? You know, here we are praying for people we don't even know. I mean, we always pray for our loved ones or we tend to, you know, it's easy to pray for our family members or or our friends who we knew. But what about just praying for the souls in purgatory in general and saying, you know what, Lord, I'm just offering my prayer for whoever needs it the most. I don't know who they are. I don't know what they've done in their life. I don't know if they betrayed somebody or not. It could be somebody who I felt maybe hurt me. Who knows? But at this moment, when it comes to the moment of heaven or hell, does any of that really matter? You know, does it, do I care at that point? This is a, this is talking about a soul going into heaven for eternity. All I care about is that they get to heaven. If you, you know, did me wrong or hurt me in some way, forget about it. Get to heaven. That's where we need to get to. We need to get to Jesus. All is forgiven, and I'm going to pray for whoever's there in purgatory. The souls, in turn, once they get to purgatory, will help us. Imagine this. You're on your deathbed, and you're being tortured, perhaps, or the demons are trying to tempt you to lure you away from our final triumph, from our crown of glory, and we feel so alone, and all of a sudden, we get a barrage of people coming in, looking amazing. It says here, just beautiful, benevolent visitors, clothed in light because they're coming from heaven. And their presence alone drives all evil away, gives us consolation and peace. What more could we want? How much happier could we be at that point? We have our friends. We've we've developed, we've created a whole set of friends that we didn't even weren't even aware of just by offering our suffering. Well, here's another one. There's a question about can we, you know, some people wait for their deathbed and they say, oh, I'm going to wait for a deathbed conversion. Well, that can be kind of hard to do. We don't know that we're, I wouldn't bank on that in terms of our death. So let's see here. There's a question. Maria, I am thinking of the good thief who was next to Jesus on the cross. I really would like to know what he did for Jesus to promise him that this very day onward, he would be in the kingdom with him. This is what Maria says. She says, he humbly accepted his suffering. That's what it would take for a deathbed conversion. At that point, if we haven't practiced humility in our life, are we going to be ready to humbly accept our suffering on our deathbed? I don't know. I can't, you know, I can't speak for anybody else, but for myself, I don't want to take that risk. Why wait until my deathbed? I got to humble myself every day. That's what's going to be good for my soul. That's what's going to be healing for my soul. This is what she says. She says, he humbly accepted his suffering, saying that it was justice. And he encouraged the other thief to accept his suffering too. He had the fear of God, which means humility. Here's another example. She says, another beautiful example related by Maria Sima shows how a good action makes up for a life of sin. This is what she says. She says, I knew a young man of about 20 in a nearby village. This young man's village had been cruelly stricken by a series of avalanches which had killed a large number of people. One night, this young man was in his parents' house when he heard an avalanche just next door to his house. He heard piercing screams, heart trending screams. Save us, come save us. We are trapped beneath the avalanche. Leaping up, he rose from his bed and rushed downstairs to go to the rescue of these people. His mother had heard the screams and prevented him from leaving. She blocked the door saying, no, let others go and help them. Not always us. It's too dangerous uh, outside that I don't want yet another death. But he because he had been deeply affected by these screams, really wanted to go to the rescue of these people. He pushed his mother aside. He said to her, yes, I'm going. I can't let them die like this. Can you imagine that moment? You hear people screaming. The question is, do I run to the fire? Well, in this case, it's an avalanche. Do I run to the snow 
or do I try to protect myself? I think our instinct is to try to protect ourselves. But this young man said, you know, it says he's in his 20s, um, decided, no, I think I need to get out there and help these people. So he's going to go out and help. And he went out and then he himself on the path was struck by an avalanche and he was killed. On his way to help these people, he was killed himself. Three days after his death, he comes to visit me, this is Maria, at night, and he says to me, have three masses said for me. By this, I will be delivered from purgatory. I went to inform his family and friends. They were astonished to know that after only three masses, he would be delivered from purgatory. His friend said to me, oh, I wouldn't have liked to have been in his place in the moment of death if you'd seen all the bad things he'd done. Well, apparently this guy did not live a very good life if his friends uh, themselves are saying that he had done so many bad things and they didn't want to be in his place at that moment of death. But all he's saying is, I need three masses and I'll be delivered from purgatory. Let's see why. It says, Maria, Maria, the visionary here says, but this young man said to me, you see, I made an act of pure love in risking my life for these people. It's thanks to this that the Lord welcomed me so quickly into his heaven. Yes, charity covers a multitude of sins. You know, I think this is really what it comes down to when Christ says, what you do for the least of these, you do for me. If I do something out of charity for someone I don't know, or for someone who I might even perceive to be my enemy, you know, somebody who I think has done me wrong, but I do something out of love for them, out of love for Christ, it's a little bit hard to do it out of love for neighbors sometimes if, if we don't find them too uh, too charitable themselves, or we feel that like they've done us wrong. It's hard to do that. But if I'm able to extend my hand and help somebody out of charity, out of love for Christ, I think that goes a long way. Got to remember that. I got to remember that. Uh, in terms of if I'm thinking about healing my soul. Well, here's a really good question to ask as well. It says, Maria, can you now tell us what are the most effective means to help deliver the souls in purgatory? And she says, the most effective means is the Mass. No big surprise there. Again, what do we celebrate at the Mass? The precious body and blood of our Lord, his body which died and his uh on the cross for us and his blood, which was shed for us. Why the mass? She says, because it is Christ who offers himself out of love for us. It is the offering of Christ himself to God, the most beautiful offering. The priest is God's representative, but it is God himself who offers himself and sacrifices himself for us. We can't forget that. We can't forget the value of the mass. It says the efficacy of the mass for the deceased is even greater for those who attached great value to the Mass during their lives, if they attended Mass and prayed with all their hearts, if they went to Mass on weekdays according to their time available, they draw great profit from Masses celebrated for them. Here, too, one harvests what one has sown. There you go, folks. The month of the Sacred Heart of Christ, or excuse me, the month of the Precious Blood of Christ. We celebrated the Sacred Heart last month. Precious Blood of Christ. Don't forget the merits that we get from receiving communion, from being at Mass. Let's offer our masses for the holy souls in purgatory. Let's offer our communion for the holy souls in purgatory that they may find relief. And in turn, they will help us out too. Until next time, this is Dr. Sandoval saying, let's keep the Catholic.